You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, and thank you for joining us for a mindful moment. There's never been a better time to build your mindfulness skills. Mindfulness not only improves your mental, emotional, and physical well-being, but provides a foundation for remaining calm during stressful challenges and events. Through mindful thoughts and actions, we can do more than just survive life's challenges. We can continue to thrive. The key to becoming more mindful is simply practice. We hope this podcast will provide you with knowledge, inspiration, and motivation. Working together, we can learn and grow from any experience. So, let's get started. By now, it seems to be settling in for most folks that we're in this state of being for the long haul. For months, we've been waiting, and now it's becoming clear that we're not even sure what we're waiting for. With all of the people out of work, trying to work from home, working from home with kids that aren't returning to school, and very few options of anything to do outside of our homes, plus sadly all of the people who are sick or have lost loved ones, it feels impossible to even begin to figure out what's next. I know some of you, or perhaps many of you, are going to feel irritated to hear me say that we need to look for some positives in light of our circumstances right now. But is staying focused on the negative serving anyone? The answer is no, of course, but when we're worn down, tired, scared, stressed, and more, it feels like way too much to be asked to look for a bright side. Fair enough, but I'm going to anyway, because we're at a point where we have to start taking some kind of action, or to make some choices, or to begin to make plans for our lives. We can't just keep sitting in suffering. I don't think asking you to plan out what you want your life to look like right now is reasonable for most people. Things are still in great flux and unpredictable. But there are steps we can take to lay the groundwork for re-entering or redesigning our lives once we have more information. We can start with considering whether we want to take a proactive approach to whatever comes next or continue reacting to all of the chaos wreaking havoc on our lives. Reacting to every external event now is like riding a roller coaster every day. It can be nauseating for many. And unfortunately, at least in the United States, we're adding another daily dose of negativity as the presidential campaign comes to a head. Please don't watch the ads. One way to take a proactive approach, which does not require that we know exactly where we're going yet, is to think about who we want to be and what that looks like. That provides us with a guide or map to take the next step, and then the next step, and many more, perhaps, baby steps, in a direction instead of feeling stuck. It's the start of moving forward. 
Another proactive step we can take is to seriously mind our minds. Let's face it, it's extremely easy to go dark these days. We can look around at our external conditions and see everything as terrible. That's why it's important to find at least one bright spot and maybe more. Finding bright spots might help us clarify who we want to be. We could start with something fairly simple, which is to reflect on the last four months and identify what has been a pleasant surprise. Have there been aspects of the shutdown that you found pleasant? I've loved not having to sit in traffic every day. And after the first few weeks, I found that I really enjoyed starting my days off more slowly, taking my time in making breakfast or catching up on some reading before starting my workday. It's such a stark contrast to jumping out of bed and rushing to get ready and out the door to try to beat the traffic. So, part of who I want to be is a more relaxed person who relishes the simple joys in life, and I'm contemplating how I can adjust my work once the mandates lift so that I don't return to the very cranky person sitting on the 405 freeway most evenings. Perhaps you've discovered that you love working from home, or that you really enjoy having extra time with the kids, or that you experience pure joy in not having to sit in long, boring meetings at the office. Maybe it's relief you feel that you don't have to listen to a negative coworker all day. On the flip side, you can consider what you've missed over the past four months. Spending time with family or friends, going out to dinner or for entertainment, traveling. You could discover that you loved everything about your pre-pandemic life and feel more appreciative of it. Spend some quiet time really reflecting on these aspects of your recent life and make a list. You don't have to take any action on the list yet. Just making the list is a proactive approach to restarting your life. If you're out of work, instead of reacting to the potential threats facing you, Spend some time considering these same reflections. Identify what you loved about your job and what wasn't so great about it. Looking at the aspects of the job you enjoyed, are there other jobs or industries that include those same aspects? If you're in a hard-hit industry, like hospitality, many of those jobs may not return due to so many of these businesses tragically failing now. You might start reflecting on what else you might want to do if returning to your job is not an option. Are there any skills you could be developing now, hopefully while receiving unemployment, that could open more opportunities for you once we're set free again? There are so many free or low-cost trainings available online that you might just start window shopping to see if something appeals to you. Even if you know you're returning to work at some point, you could work on improving your computer skills while home. I think that's one skill that we can be pretty certain will be needed everywhere now, whether it's to assist your children with their remote learning or for all of the new jobs that will become available requiring technological know-how. We can't possibly know what's going to happen in the short term or long term as a result of this pandemic. You may feel that your job is pretty secure right now, but there is going to be a ripple effect that will change whole industries. Consider this. If enough of us continue to work from home after the pandemic is over, what happens to the auto industry, the repair shops, gasoline stations, auto insurance companies, tire stores, auto parts stores, finance companies, 
and even the DMV. Of course, there's the other side of that scenario, which is all of the new opportunities that could spring up. Home teaching assistance, increased construction due to home remodels to accommodate working, increased infrastructure jobs for more bicycle or pedestrian paths due to decreased traffic, open-air markets, new gadgets to improve our homework experience, new work furniture designs and sales, and perhaps even cleaner air. I'm making all of this up, of course, because no one knows, and that's the real point. Instead of worrying about what will happen, we need to remember that there is a balance to life, and for every event, there is an upside and a downside. We can take a proactive approach to all of this uncertainty by accepting that we don't know anything for sure, but we can stay open to opportunities. We can all take a more proactive approach to our mental health now, too. I'm certainly experiencing more feelings of loneliness than I can ever recall, so by checking in with myself frequently, I recognize that I'm dipping into murky waters and take steps to pull my mood back up. Calling a friend, taking a walk, finding a funny movie, even these simple steps can halt the spiral and support me in feeling better. At least for a while. Many people, however, are struggling with more than feeling a little down or struggling with bouts of loneliness. Sadness is a normal human reaction to a problem, a loss, disappointment, or a challenging event. I suspect we have all felt sadness at some point in the last few months. Sadness usually goes away on its own or by practicing simple activities like I just mentioned. While sadness is typically a reaction to external events, Depression is more related to internal challenges. Depression can include feeling hopeless or worthless. It can include an inability to function well. It may represent itself as atypical anger or irritability. It may include feelings that life isn't worth living. Depression frequently produces physical symptoms that may include low energy, aches and pains, insomnia, and loss of appetite. Unlike sadness, depression does not go away on its own. If you've been very low or sad consistently for more than a couple of weeks, please consider seeking support. You can call your physician for a referral or contact a telehealth agency to speak with a therapist online or over the phone. How you do it isn't as important as being proactive and doing it. There is relief available. I recently had an interesting talk with Dr. J.P. Palou-Fry, a psychologist, thought leader on emotional intelligence, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Performing Under Pressure, The Science of Doing Your Best When It Matters Most, and co-founder of the Institute for Health and Human Potential. As an international performance coach, he has worked with the NFL, NBA, and Olympic medal-winning athletes, as well as senior business leaders at Fortune 500 companies the U.S. Army and Navy, and the CIA. He is now also the host and creator of the Last 8% Morning Podcast, a morning routine designed to be a useful resource in these unprecedented times. This emotional intelligence podcast brings listeners through three strategies to prepare for the day, mindfulness, movement, and mental training. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Pulifry. I listened to your podcast this morning and love that you walk on the podcast. 
I think it's such a necessity right now to get people moving. And of course, a walking meditation is to me like the ideal answer, perfect for the times we're in. As a thought leader on emotional intelligence, I wanted to ask you what you see as the distinction between mindfulness and EI. Oh, wow. Great. Do we have an hour? Um, Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So to me, they are absolutely complementary and almost depending on which way you come in, if you come in more from an EI perspective, mindfulness can be looked on as a tool to help you grow your emotional intelligence. But the truth is that if you come to this from a mindfulness perspective, then that's almost the bigger umbrella and emotional intelligence is a tool. So I I can argue both ways. And because I have experience in both sides, I'm not fussed, uh, but absolutely, you know, mindfulness can help us grow self-awareness. Mindfulness is something you can develop that helps you manage emotions. So it absolutely can be used for EI. But of course, as you know, mindfulness is not just a technique. It's, It's much bigger than that. And depending on how you want to frame it more, you know, verging on more of a spiritual meaning-based approach versus more technical science approach. So, you know, I don't know if that's helpful, but uh, they, they fit so well together. No, I agree with that. And I just think some people get confused. And so that's really why I wanted your opinion about it. So I appreciate that. So here between the podcast and the workshops we do and the trainings, we've been really focusing on trying to support people in shifting from reacting to external events to learning to better manage their own responses Mm. to events because we can't control what's happening out there. So I was wondering if you have any suggestions for how people can use mindfulness to deal with all of these difficult situations. So, you know, we have a pandemic and we have civil unrest and there's huge economic challenges going on. And here in LA, they announced last week, no going back to school in the fall, which is going to throw parents. I can't even imagine the chaos that's about to occur. And so I know this is an area that you focus on, and I just wonder what you could share with our audience about maybe a, a helpful way to deal with this. Right. Wow. Um, it is hard. I think for anyone who's listening, do not feel alone. This is difficult. A lot of people are struggling. I would probably say you and I, Teresa, are struggling um, in how we're working, in how our organizations, our industry has been disrupted. And it's not a two or three month challenge, which we, I think we all hoped for, it is much longer until a vaccine comes along. And even when we get a vaccine, because of, you know, a lot of folks who have strong feelings about anti, you know, vaxxers, so to speak, it it might continue on even further. But here's what I would say. It's really important to build a practice, a, a structure in your day to help you deal with the challenges. And we're going to talk about that in many different forms, but that's probably one of the biggest things I would say is we've lost some of our structure. Now, many of us work from home, but many of us don't have the commute to work. So we've lost that structure of, you know, that delineation between work and home. And so what can we do to create that structure, those, those boundaries and those almost that bridge. And so I think that's a bit of a challenge. Um, there's another way to look at this also, which is that this challenging time that we're in right now, these difficult situations we're facing, difficult conversations we need to have, difficult decisions we need to make, they're actually opportunities to transform ourselves. And so that may sound almost a little Pollyannish, but I really believe it. We're going to come out of this. The question is, are we going to come out of it in a way where we've grown some skills, some capabilities? that we wouldn't otherwise have. And so to me, 
it is about, okay, how can we become students of human behavior? How can we understand how our brain works under pressure? How can we grow skills so we can better manage our brain and our behavior in these difficult moments, in these changing disruptive times? And so there's a whole bunch of insights and a whole bunch of tools that are available for anyone to learn how to manage more effectively. I agree with that. What would be a simple tool or technique that you could suggest that people practice to get started? Yeah. Well, I would say walk, walk every day. And so, you know, this is obviously part of the last 8% morning podcast. Essentially, it is a walking mindfulness session. For 24 years, I've been working with Olympic athletes or NFL, NBA teams, NASA, FBI, you know, Navy SEALs, all these groups under pressure. What we've done is we've taken this tool that used to be in a written form, almost like a diary. So you wake up and you do this as a way to focus for the day. And we've put it into an audio form so that, you know, it's literally me in your ear. And so as opposed to getting up, this is what a lot of people do. We wake up and we pick up our phone and we look at our texts and news feeds and what's going on with the president or whoever, right? And spikes our cortisol. Cortisol is highest in the morning because we need it to get up and get going, but we don't need the excess cortisol that we get. So first thing, don't look at your phone first thing in the morning. Look at it, but not in the first 15, 20 minutes, half an hour. Your brain needs to wake up. Instead, go for a walk. That's the biggest thing I would say. Go for a 15-minute walk. That's what our podcast is all about. It's a morning routine that integrates three things. Movement, going for a walk, mindfulness and mental training exercises that we've used with these group for you know over 20 years set, helps you set the tone for the day helps you set up your day some people struggle with mindfulness of sitting as you know my sitting mindfulness they oh my mind wanders and I, I don't know if i'm doing it right and we find that one of the ways in is to walk now there's a whole bunch of reasons why you want to walk anyway we know that it turns on our internal pharmacy our muscles spit out myokines, goes to our brain, has three effects, makes us more stress resilient, makes us enjoy pleasure more, makes us more trusting of others. We can collaborate better. So those are three very you know, real effects we get just from walking moderately 15 to 20 minutes a day, which is fantastic. So you walk and you get that effect. Mindfulness, you get that effect. You do some mental training exercises and we actually use it as a form of drip learning. Right? So in our company, we do training in emotional intelligence before and after, but mainly after our programs, people start getting engaged in the podcast where now they have drip learning. They have like in the 15 or 20 minutes, about five minutes is an idea of the day. And so they now have a new idea to kind of keep growing their learning because let's face it, the world is changing fast. We need to learn as fast as the world is changing. And so that would be the first and foremost thing that I would suggest because it's actually a platform then to learn how to be more self-aware, to learn how to manage our emotions, to learn how to connect to others, to learn how to get into some habits of mind that help us respond versus react, which is, you know, I know your kind of raison d'etre. So I think that's great for multiple reasons. I agree. A lot of people struggle with sitting meditations. And so we encourage walking meditations. So I commend you because I really thought that was a novel way to approach it and to get people up and moving. And I think it also adds to that structure you're talking about to get out of those habits you had before the racing around commuting to work. Now you need something to replace it. This is a beautiful thing to replace it with. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the structure, I mean, literally this is my morning routine. I get up and I walk. And so it's like we're walking together. 
and we do follow a specific, as you know, a specific BIG structure, you know, acronym of two Bs, two Is, two Gs. And we pick, you know, kind of one of the I, one of the Gs. So get up, you make your bed. That's really important when we're working from home. The second B is you pay attention to your belly and body mindfully as you walk. That's the Bs. The I's is it's either an idea of the day or it's strengthening identity. Again, a big thing we do with athletes. And you don't need to be an athlete, by the way, to really get benefit from this. And then we choose one of the G's, either gratitude or goals. And so the idea is that we go through and we have a real structure that helps us set the tone for the day. By the way, some people don't do it first thing in the morning. They do their, their morning, of they eat, they shower, they do whatever. And just before they go to work, they go for a 15-minute walk with this mindfulness you know, walking podcast as a way to kind of get into the day and then they actually finish the day by doing the same thing, going for a walk. So it's almost replaced their commuting. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And I think that that's probably pretty effective because that is part of, and we've focused a lot on this. We don't like uncertainty. We love routine. All of that feels upended. And so to start looking at how do you replace things you can't do now with something you can that is actually probably better for you than what we were doing before. So I think that's wonderful. I'm curious about how your podcast came about. Yeah, so last 8% morning, wow. I mean, like 24 years ago, we used um, this kind of written diary. It's called the Mindful Morning Notes. Kind of a take on Julia Cameron's work, but really more focused on how do we set up the day with goals and gratitude and mindfulness. And, you know, some people were saying, hey, you know, I'm struggling right now. What can we do? And so four months ago, we decided, well, let's, make this available to the public in a free form. And so to be honest, we've never actually made this available kind of for free, but we thought this would be a great service to folks. So it was really more just a response to what's going on with the virus. But as people, longtime listeners will tell you, it's so much more than just how to help you be more mindful or grow your emotional intelligence around the virus. Because, you know, the last 8%, what that is, is at the Institute for Health and Human Potential, IHHP.com, where I work, we survey over 40,000 people a month. And so from our research in the last seven or eight years, we find that most of us are pretty good at managing 85, 90, 92% of the different situations we face in the course of a day. But there are some situations, a tough conversation, a difficult decision, what we call the last 8%, where we struggle. And so that's where the whole idea came from, is that we struggle with some percentage of decisions or conversations we know we need to have. And why we struggle is because of emotions, because emotions get in the way. We either get fearful or we want to be perfect, and so we avoid. So we have a predictable default behavior. We either avoid or we make a mess. And it's emotions that are kind of behind that, either the fear driving avoid or anger or frustration driving the make a mess. And so the whole podcast is to help us manage these more difficult situations. And COVID is, you know, coronavirus is one big last 8% situation more effectively, more emotionally intelligently. Great. That's a great service to offer. We do the same thing. We, the podcast has really become focused on not so much, you know, how to deal with the virus. It's about how to really look at all of the uncomfortable things that are coming up because we're at home for months or we're suddenly right. trapped with the same people for months or how difficult things feel sometimes now, like going to the store feels more difficult. You know, simple things that we took for granted before. And I agree with you. I think that many people aren't aware that because willpower is not infinite each day, right. you know, we, we get drained over the day or fatigue or not taking care of ourselves or all the different things that impact us. 
we frequently just kind of pull back instead of dealing with something that's going to be done and gone. And by pulling back, we have to keep dealing with it over and over and over again, which of course drains us even further. So I really like the last 8%. Let's get it out of the way. Let's fix it or do it or at least look at it, right? Well, that's it. Because in our culture, as you know, Teresa, we have been taught and it's become a habit to when things aren't comfortable, change it, change it. We don't feel good, change the temperature, you know, turn on the air conditioning, turn on the heat, change, eat if we're not feeling good, whatever. We, we're just so used to changing. And, and our approach, and I'm sure yours is as well, which is to, no, let's actually sit with it, right? When we have a strong emotion or a strong uh, physical sensation or that voice in our head, many of us go to change it. And, and so we get into, you know, aversion and avoidance, or we get hooked and we make a mess. And so our point is no you know, what we resist persists. So instead, just experience it. And this is the big thing we find with Olympic athletes is that as soon as they start to push that feeling of pressure away, it actually becomes bigger and they get overwhelmed by it. Instead, we say, befriend it, welcome it in. When you're not feeling comfortable, welcome it, explore it with curiosity. And of course, what happens, it loses its power. And all of a sudden now we are more able to deal with ever more difficult situations and physical sensations and emotions. And this gives us power. Absolutely. And I think it also really addresses one of the biggest problems right now, which is feeling out of control. So if you can look at the difficult things and really, like you said, befriend it. I use the term uh, neutral observer, that you just step back and just look at it. You start to see, oh, it's not that powerful. And I do have some control. And I think psychologically, that's imperative for people right now to get those things that they can control in the forefront to help relieve that anxiety over the things they can't control. Yeah. And that's why I'm actually hopeful that this time with the virus is opening people up to mindfulness in a way that maybe, I mean, and it's really been on the rise. You know, I studied 30 years ago with John Kabat-Zinn and at the University of Massachusetts and, you know, spent time in monasteries, but everyone thought it was wacko back then. And, you know, as you know, people now are more open to it. And I think that's great. I think that's going to be helpful for all of us. By the way, just the idea of control what you can't control, that's one of the reasons, working with the U.S. Navy and Army, that's why you make your bed in the morning, because it's something you can't control. It builds a bit of momentum. And then when you come back at the end of the day, in a day that you might not have had a lot of control, you come back to a made bed, something that was kind of controlled, and you feel internally a bit better. So it's a very small hack, but it's very powerful. And so I think I, I want to challenge everyone who's listening, experiment. What can you do to put yourself in the best place So you can be your best during these difficult moments, difficult situations, conversations, decisions, whatever it is you're facing. It's really interesting because we, one of the things we teach people in changing habits is to work on keystone habits and making your bed happens to be a keystone habit that studies show actually make you more productive. So I think that's a big plus when you're working from home because so many people are struggling to stay productive because it's easy to get distracted when you're at home alone. So That's that's really interesting. I didn't think about it from the control point. Yeah, no, it's so true. Plus the other thing is like, I'm looking at my bed right now. If it was unmade all day, you know, that kind of is not great for the mind. We know that as well. So it's kind of interesting. It all kind of comes together, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I think now that the virus is surging again in so many places, that it's a good time for people to maybe step back and reassess. Because I think, like you said, at the beginning, we thought it might be a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, and it's clearly going to be at least another year or longer. So now is the time to step back and say, okay, well, I got through that first round, if we want to call it that. 
And now I really need to get maybe a little more, pay more attention to how can I make this more comfortable and more productive and more structured, whether you live alone or whether you have family or especially now if you have kids that are going to be remote learning for a much longer period. And so I really appreciate your wisdom in these tips and tricks because that's really a lot of what it comes down to. You know, make your bed. That's a simple, easy, like I think of it almost like a trick. You're tricking your brain into shifting what it's focusing on. And those things do not take a lot of time and they don't take a huge amount of effort, but they will absolutely improve the quality of your life right now. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. I think it also brings up the point that we are walking models for the young people and the people in our lives. And we're around them way more. And, you know, as I like to say to parents, don't worry that your child doesn't always listen to you. Worry that they're constantly watching you. And so I think it's important for us to really think about what are we modeling for our young people? And to me, I feel like right now, it's an opportunity for us to have a big influence on them in terms of our modeling. I think that that's really very profound because a lot of people forget that children are always watching. (laughs) Yes. And and not just children, even young adults. You know, there's a problem now with young adults, at least in the United States, with feeling invincible to getting sick. And so they're not necessarily taking precautions. And I think the more we can model and maybe shift away from being angry or judging or shaming or whatever we're trying to do, but just model the behavior show them over and over again, no, this is serious and we're all doing this and none of us like it, you know, but it is an opportunity to really spend time looking inward at a time. Mm -hmm. How often do we have this opportunity? I would say this as well. One of the things that we picked up on when we did some interviews with some of our our podcast listeners of the last 8% morning is that they're struggling with certain things. And so we actually create a certain week. So we have an anxiety week. We have an empathy week. And like you say, I, I, I want to suggest to everyone, you know, go out and explore. This is the golden age of learning right now. There's so much available, podcasts and videos. Go out and learn the stuff that you want to, A, grow, but also teach and model for your young people. So we're not commuting. We actually, in some ways, have a bit more time. By the way, we have to also be careful that we're not overworking and burning out. That's one of the things I think you know, when we wake up and we look at our phone and we don't have a real prescribed way to get our brain started for the day, that's what can lead to burnout. And so be careful, everyone who's listening, that you're not feeling guilty. Oh, I should be working more because we have less distractions. We're not going out as much. And it's easy just to kind of keep working away. And, you know, that's not great for our well-being. And I, I have to say, Teresa, my biggest fear, I've got many big fears around what's going on, but is it's on the mental health side. That, like, I think people really are struggling. And, you know, where they could distract before now they can't. And so it's, it's making it even harder, isn't it? It absolutely is. And on top of that, there's so many families under such real pressure because they yeah. lost their jobs or they right. were on hiatus or whatever you want to call it. And, and there's no certainty, like it's already happened here in LA. They got to go back for a few weeks and now they're probably getting pulled back. And that kind of pressure, I think, especially if you're isolated or your family's depending on you or whatever it is absolutely is magnified. We've been trying to encourage people to use telehealth services for mental mm. health because a lot of people are afraid to go to a, you know, to an office of but yeah. it, to talk to someone. You know, of course, if you have someone in your family or friends that you can talk to, that's great. But I think for a lot of people, it's a very fine line between feeling sad, disappointed, you know, the range of emotions we're all feeling changes every day to sort of slipping into what could be really depression. And under right. the circumstances, it's becoming more and more common and it's all age groups. There's not one age group now affected. So 
I, I very point. much agree with you with that. People really need to check in. I mean, that's the easiest way to know is to practice mindfulness where you really can check in without judging yourself yes. and just say, am I still okay? Or maybe I do need to just maybe check on getting a little bit of help just in yeah. case, right? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And, and as I know your listeners are quite aware, but this whole idea of being non-judgmental is I think really one of the, I don't know if people recognize how powerful it is as an antidote, both being non-judgmental and accepting. I think those two pieces that we have to accept those things that right now we can't control. We find that hard. We're so used to take charge, you know, be in control. Don't accept, always strive for something better. And by the way, look, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. I, look, I, I want to grow. I want to control things. But there is a real wisdom around understanding there's some things I just have to, you know, accept. Like the natural flow of joy and sorrow that is this life. That's, that's what it is. And so can we accept it? Can we be at peace with it? That's the work. I think that's actually as much the work because at the end of the day, there's just going to be some stuff that we cannot control. And so then it's, okay, how can we be agile individually as organizations to kind of manage and, and adapt to what's coming you know, at us? Because if we can't, then, you know, it, then we're going to suffer more. And there's a lot of suffering right now for sure. There is. And I do think it's really important. And it's something that's really hard for people to, to get at first. I know from doing workshops, like the beginning of the workshop, they do not get it. And by the end, hopefully most of them do, but it's that we have a choice. Right. And most people think life happens to them and they don't have a choice of what's happening. And actually just doing that mind shift of understanding that, yep, that happened. It yes. happened. It's done. There's nothing I can do about that. I can now yeah. choose how I want to respond to that. I think it's critical to our well-being. It is. It is. And, and it really brings this idea of it's not my emotions. It's the emotions. And that's a hard one. Like, so this might be a level that gets, that's harder to, for folks to get, but if we can see that we're almost a container holding on to emotions that come and go, they will pass. And can we just watch them? As you said, the neutral observer. And, and so, you know, the idea if we can be, you know, witness and watch it without attaching, wow, you know, that is really powerful. It's extremely powerful. With the work we do with folks in organizations or these, you know, NFL, NBA teams, they've come to recognize that that resistance to fighting whatever is in the moment doesn't help their performance, doesn't help them function as a team. So it's kind of interesting how more groups now are recognizing it's not some soft, squishy kind of, you know, habit. It's actually a science-based approach to responding more effectively to what's in front of us. And everyone is dealing with something in front of them. That's the big thing I want everyone to really get. Don't feel alone, right? There's this term in psychology called terminal uniqueness, where we terminally think we're the only one experiencing something. That's absolutely not the case. We are all experiencing. And by knowing that, all of a sudden, we feel a little less alone. And that can be powerful. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And again, the name of the podcast is Last 8% Morning. Yep. And then you also have a book, Performing Under Pressure. Yes. And so I want to make sure I get that out there because that sounds like it is uh, something that could also be very beneficial to improving the human potential. I wish you well and hope you stay safe. And thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Teresa. I want to wish all the listeners uh, not good luck, actually. I don't want to wish you good luck. I don't necessarily believe in luck after looking at all the data that I look at. Instead, I want to wish you two things, not good luck, but good preparation which is what listening to this podcast is all about. So not good luck, but good preparation and good courage. 
So when you face your last 8% situation, conversation, you don't avoid it. You don't make a mess. You find that middle way of, you know, dealing with it in a way where they can hear you, making the decision, even though it's uncomfortable. So good preparation and good courage. It's been my pleasure, Teresa, to be on the show. Thank you so much. It's time to breathe again, just in case you haven't been doing enough of it lately. Sit comfortably straight and place your hands on your belly. Take in a deep breath and notice how your belly expands. Slowly release and notice how it feels as your belly contracts. One more time with hands on belly. Breathe in through the nose and hold for a count of one, two, three, four, and slowly release. Now, close your eyes or soften your gaze and breathe normally. In and out. Nothing could be simpler. Relax your jaw, neck, and shoulders. Notice how much tension is released. Let's just breathe normally, noticing our breath and how pleasant it is to be fully relaxed. Take in a deep cleansing breath through the nose if you can. As you exhale, sigh with relief. In this moment, right here, right now, you are fine. Life offers too many rich opportunities to just survive it even during challenging times. Our intention is to support you in thriving through a life of purpose and meaning. Until next time, remember to be mindful. For more information on the Institute for Health and Human Potential, you can visit IHHP.com and find the last 8% Morning Podcast on Apple. To watch any of our interviews from the podcast, visit our website at worktoliveproductions.com. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please rate this podcast so that others can find us. And follow us on social media at work to live A Mindful Moment is written and hosted by Teresa McKee. The Spanish version is translated and recorded by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat, by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, Meteorite Productions. Meditation music, 
Angel's Dream by Akash Gandhi. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions. Thank you for tuning in.